Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Thank you for showing up again and hanging out in my windowsill. I have a great one for you today. I am talking to Beth of One Canoe Two and Hemlock Goods. And we just talk a little bit about your creative practice and how to manage it, designing too much, and then doing just the right thing. Before I get there, here is a review that I thought pertained. This is from Ann Wex, and she says, not just inspiring, but educational. This podcast has become an important part of my art practice. I listen to it as I paint, and I'm entertained and inspired by the insightful stories coaxed by Margo's thoughtful, warm interview style. In particular, the discussion with Emily McDowell was a revelation. Since we closed our brick and mortar store last year and became a solely online and wholesale business, I've been wondering if going smaller would end up being the right choice, or if we should try to expand again in the aftertimes. But listening to Emily, it seemed like it absolutely is, and I shouldn't take for granted the time and freedom this move has given us back. Her examples of diminishing returns blew my mind. I'm so glad to be able to share true, real, actual business stories with you. Beth really talks a lot about that today in how she grew her business, the changes she's made, the ups and downs, and the true gratification she gets from doing it the way she does. Here's a little bit about Beth. In her words, all my life, I've been driven by my creative impulse to be a maker. As a teen in the mid-90s, my first business, Beth Beth's Bobble and Beads, was successful enough to put me through college while my sisters both worked at the local truck stop. Don't worry, they're now a doctor and a lawyer. Between then and now, the great creative project of starting and growing a business has inspired multiple endeavors, including iconic stationery company One Canoe Two, Hemlock Goods, a bandana company, and a couple of management companies to rule them all. Nothing is more satisfying to me than creating a product that people love, crave and can't wait to purchase. But by far, my biggest triumph is gathering a team of smart, scrappy people, mostly women, and providing them just enough guidance to take off and help the company soar. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with the wonderful, creative, unstoppable Beth Snyder. Also, I just want to say thank you so tremendously much for all the love we reached 50,000 downloads this week and we just keep going. And it's because of you guys showing up and listening and letting me know what you want to hear and who you want to listen to. And I just really appreciate your continued support. And I'm just going to keep bringing you all the stories and all the interesting tidbits that I can. So thanks for being here. I really, 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 really appreciate you. And if you haven't had time yet to check out the Relish Creative Community, head on over to relishyourcreativity.com and see what we've dreamed up for you. And today, I'm very happy to be talking to Beth Snyder. (laughs) I'm so happy to talk to you just because I love you. I love you too. I was really looking forward to this. It was like, yeah. Very happy. I I thought, well, I should probably press record sometime or we're just going to keep talking the day away. Right. But, right. 
Thanks for being here all the way from Missouri. Do you say Missouri or Missouri? Missouri. See, my grandmother was St. Louis girl and my grandfather. Did she say Missouri? She's corrected me every time. Missouri. I think saying Missouri is for old people and politicians. Well, she was one of the two. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, she was born in 1904. So yeah, Yeah. I'm not young either, but we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Young at heart, young at heart. So you live in a lovely, how far from St. Louis are you? Where is Fulton? Uh, Well, it's an hour and 15 minutes to the airport from my house. If you drive like I do, which means very quickly. I get it. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's probably an hour and a half to the art store, which is what we usually go to St. Louis for is to the art supply store. There you go. So, yeah. And we're only like 20 minutes from Columbia, which is where the university is. Oh was. yeah. And that's where you went. Yeah. And that's where I went. And that's a very like liberal artsy. Oh yeah. Town culture. Well, you've so, got Kansas city, not that far, what three hours ish. And yeah. Two and a half or so. Yeah. So, yeah. You're in the middle of all sorts of good things. Yeah. It's kind of like the best of all the worlds, you know, like we're not so far away from things that you couldn't drive for a day. And then we could go to the Ozarks and yeah, I love going to Arkansas and going to all kinds of rivers and floatable canoeable things. So You always have the best um, river canoeing pictures. I just I love like it. That. There's something about the moment you sit in that boat and it floats, you know, mm-hmm. and it like just rocks a little bit like, oh, okay. Right. Ready. For Off the, the earth. Day. I just, yeah. things like that. Airplanes, swings, boats, get me off the yeah. earth for a second. Yeah, I also really like to swing. I feel like that's a really fun thing to do. So there you go. Yep. I knew I liked you. <laughs> so how'd you get to Fulton? How'd you get to be such a badass business maven? Well, Lee. I grew up around here. My dad was a school superintendent at this at, um, in one of the local rural school districts. So I grew up here and then I went to Mizzou and got a degree in graphic design and fibers, Mm -hmm. which means that I just wanted to design fabric for a living. And sure enough, that is kind of what I'm doing now. It took me a long time to get there. I love that. I love that you're doing it. Yeah. I worked at a TV station for um, all through college. I just knew somebody happened to get a job doing graphic design at the TV station, the local NBC affiliate. And then when I left college, I was like, well, I'm not going to get, this is 2002. I was like, I'm not going to get a creative job in Columbia, Missouri, probably. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to move. So I found another job at another TV station doing graphic design in Nashville, the CBS affiliate. So it was like a lot of mug shots, but also I made maps, which I'm just obsessed with maps yeah. anyway. So if there's a shooting at ninth and Broadway, I would like make a map of it. And then I would press the intercom button and say, it's in like to the director and the director would pop it up on the screen for half a million people to see. And then I'd be like, Oh, I spelled Broadway wrong. And I'd fix it, save it and press the intercom button. It's in replace it. And they do it. So like I that, love that super fast timing was really stressful and like probably not good for long-term for somebody with blood, his family history of blood pressure issues. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely think it taught me so many things about timing and figuring out what actually has to be done because my deadlines were four, five, and six every day. Wow. Like I had a, I got a story at noon probably and would have to come up with graphics to illustrate it, you know, and get it animated and on screen. Gosh, we think about advertising being, you know, a super tight schedule. This is, this is incomparable to anything. I loved about it though, is that there's like no BS, like you gotta do what you gotta do and you have to figure out what you can do in the time you have. And then when it's over, it's over. I love that. No agonizing over it, which is really what I love. I just like to. That's a great training too, especially because you're, there's nothing precious. Precious goes out the window. Right. Yeah. Which is a very good skill to have. Yeah, honestly, I, also, I did get to do some long-term projects. Like we had a um, sister station that was on cable. So I designed like, Oh, like whole graphics packages for new shows for like, hmm. the you know, the Latina show and, and the out and about, which was the LBGTQ show. And so I got to design all those graphics packages, like logos and animations and music and cool. So, yeah, Music Actually, too. Here's a fun, fun fact about me. I, I have an Emmy. <laughs> like I have a that. legitimate Emmy statue. Oh my gosh. I don't care about my, but my husband's always like, you need to tell pe- more people that you got that. And like, it, it was Beth a has an thing. Emmy. <laughs> it does sound cool. It sounds super cool. Okay. Tell what was it for? It was for excellence in graphic design in television. So it was a local Emmy because TV people make a big damn deal out of everything. An so Emmy they have an Emmy ceremony where black tie, and it was at the Symphony Center in Nashville. 
So, and it's, you know, it was like the mid South. So it's very, it's very regional, but you know, they have like cameras in the audience. So when you get up, they like track you oh just like, gosh. The that's and awesome. Then I got, they told us ahead of time, like you have 21 seconds to give your talk. And I, um, I shared it with the rest of my department, my two other um, team members. And so he talked for a minute or, you know, for a little bit. And I was like, Oh crap, I'm not going to get to say what I want to say. And so when I got up, the first thing I said was like, I want to thank my boyfriend for being here. And the camera goes to him in the audience. And he is like, has his thumbs up in the air and is like pointing to himself. And then everybody laughed. And I, they couldn't even hear what I had to say. Cause they were just like, he stole my moment. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> not bitter at all. Would you like your 21 seconds right now? <laughs> yes, I would. Let's, I really would. I want to hear it. I would like to say thank you to my parents. I didn't thank them in the actual speech, which is, of course, what I should have said. Because despite being very traditional people in their own way, they're also super independent. They never told me that being an artist was crazy or weird. They they were like, whatever you want to do, like, go do it. We'll support you as much as possible, but like, figure it out. It's on you. So my parents did such a good job. I mean, you know, they annoy me in the way that lots of parents annoy everybody. Well, they're parents. Sure they're we're parents. I just, I, I have not given enough credit to my parents in my life, I think, because they were great. They're exactly the kind of parents I needed. That's so awesome. I just think I sound similar to mine where, you know, do what you want to do, be what you want to be, you know, remember you need to pay your bills and do your things, but yeah. Yeah, Like health insurance was always a big conversation. (laughs) Like you need Mm -hmm. to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. But that is what I did. I mean, I had full-time jobs until I was 30 because after the TV station, I, I love living in Nashville, but I met my husband and I was just like doing the math. He was a cable guy. And mm-hmm. so when I was like doing the math on what our life was going to look like, if we had kids there, I was like, okay, so I'm going to, we're going to live in like a house that looks like everybody else's house. Mm-hmm. So our kids can go to a good school. I'm going to drive an hour each way to commute to work every day. Kids are going to be in daycare 12 hours a day. Like, and we didn't really have any support right there. You know, my parents are here. Yeah. His parents were a couple hours away. I was just like, this math does not work out. We, we're not going to make it here. So, yeah. and, and that was really even before Nashville, like, exploded, but I ended up getting a job back, back home. I say working for a farming magazine as the art director. So that involved to take spending three days in a hog barn, taking pictures of a family who owned a hog business, <laughs> which was disgusting, but I loved meeting the people. And like, yeah. I have such a sentimental place in my heart for farm families. Cause both of my parents came from farm families and lots yeah. of my parents still are farmers, you know, and they work really hard and they have like incredible such respect values. Yeah. I, I lived in Minnesota for a long time and I, um, commuted through farm farmland and I just would always think about it, you know, through the snow, you know, feet of snow or whatever. And they're still having to, you know, those cows still are hungry. I know. Yeah. When, when I first started one canoe two, we were based in a barn in the middle of my Mm -hmm. business time in the middle of her family farm and we were there on that farm for like almost five years I think in different ways and just every year driving down the gravel road you know I would see them with their huge planters out planting these little tiny corn seeds in Mm -hmm. a mile long field you know this huge long field and then a couple weeks later up pops the corn like that is a miracle knee high by the fourth of July yeah and it's and then it would get harvested the whole thing would start again and there's something so amazed like miraculous and comforting about that in just such a real way that I loved. I agree. It's humbling. It just reminds you of the cycle of things. It's pretty yeah. cool. I remember, I think I first became aware of you very early on when you, when you guys got your big press and, and you there, you were talking about getting it there, getting it to the barn, unloading it. Yeah. I remember those stories. And I remember your paintings and drawings of that kind of Midwest horizons and just yeah. loving those so much. Loving yeah. Those so much. Yeah. I mean, we were lucky to have that space. My, I started the business with my friend, Carrie, who I'd been friends with since like fifth grade. She's an incredible, just like off this planet, talented artist. She's amazing. Um, and her family had this big barn and her dad is a really interesting human too. He's an entrepreneur. The whole family is like full of creative inventors and entrepreneur type people. And so I think he was like actually really excited for us to get this big press and mm. put it in the barn because he likes to tinker with stuff too, you know? So it was cool. It was really fun to have it there. And, and the farm guys who would work on the tractors and if something went wrong with the press, we would, you know, have them <laughs> come out and help us fix it. 
that oil. Part- they taught, they had to teach us how to oil it. We're like, we don't know what's wrong. And they're like, when was the last time you oiled it? Like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oil it. So when you weren't business partners anymore, did you move the press to town? Like, yeah, it was in storage for a couple of years because by, you know, at some point we sort of realized like, we're not going to be the best letterpress printmakers ever. Mm-hmm. What we're good at is the artwork and the design and all that kind of stuff. So we outsourced the printing of our actual letterpress cards and we started branching out into painted like offset, what mm-hmm. we eventually offset printed, but painting with gouache. Um, so by the time it moved in 2015, we didn't have an active need for those, but then we bought a building. I bought a building in 2016 and now it's, it has a permanent home now. Listen, there's nothing more stressful than moving a letterpress. I hate it. I try to actively not be there by purpose or accident. Yeah. (laughs) It is the worst. Oh my gosh. It weighs just a million. Yeah. It weighs like 2000 pounds. So if something goes wrong, like you can't stop it from Uh, happening. Yeah. I don't know. So hopefully you don't have to do that for a long time. Yeah, (laughs) hopefully not. So you went from, was it kind of that, Hey, let's do something. Was it kind of like that two friends getting together and figuring out something? Or were you thinking, gosh, I really want to do my own thing. Like, how did you, how'd you make that leap? I mean, it was both really. It's just that the thing that I started with Carrie is the thing that really took off. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've always had like some little business because I don't, I didn't ever want to ask my parents for money. I always thought they were really stressed out about money. turns out I don't think they were. (laughs) I think it was just like, (laughs) that was a good scarcity mentality, but, um, I had a business in school, right? Yeah. I had a business in high school. I made, um, oh my gosh, I have to show you since you're on screen. So I made like artwork and or jewelry and home decor, made jewelry and home decor out of FEMO clay. So I made these canes Mm. and then sliced them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Beth's holding up this crazy, it's this purple long stem bottle and she has a sheet of cut canes all smooshed together. That's pretty magical. One that says Beth on it. Really into it. And when I started that, I bought a book at Michael's. I remember ordering it and just waiting for it to come to Michael's, which is oh going to be gosh. so foreign to people who are any younger than me. Cause I'm 40. So I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. So 92, maybe. So I bought the book. I bought a couple of books. My mom, somehow I got on a newsletter. Like remember when newsletters or uh, what were those things called? Listservs. Oh yeah. Somehow I got the computer. I bought the modem and I like hooked it up to the internet and figured it out. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> like a little like crazy. I don't know. I'm just get, I get so curious and then I just get really yeah. determined to figure things out. I love that. That's why uh-huh. you you're where you are doing what you do. I'm so curious. Yeah. So that I sold that stuff at the store called Poppy, which is in Columbia, Missouri, still open owned by one of my best friends, Liz. Love it. And at the time it was owned by this um, woman named Barb McCormick and she was terrifying but she really liked these, liked my artwork. And so she goes, okay, well, where are you getting the bottles? Let me, I'm going to call in the distributor. So she set up a sales meeting so I could buy them wholesale. Cause I didn't know how to, wow. I didn't know that. and then she like helped me understand consignment pricing and quality control issues and all early mentor. Mm-hmm. And then, and I did like craft shows and stuff. And my mom would, my mom and I would like load up my dad's van. My dad made these wooden displays for me. It's wow. Bobbles and beads. <laughs> Bobbles and beat. That's hard to say. That's fantastic. So you started that in high school. Yeah, I started, I did that all through high school. I didn't have like an outside job. I did like school and activities and stuff. And then I would come home and be in my room, either painting my nails and watching VH1 or talking on the phone and doing (laughs) bobbles and beads. (laughs) By the time I went to college, I had $40,000 in my bank account. Holy cow, sister. Yeah. And then I went to a public university where I had scholarships and never paid for anything. So way to go. Yeah. That's the real gift. My parents gave me is making yes. me like telling me not to go to wash you in St. Louis, which is where I really wanted to go. And mm-hmm. I was like, you can't be an artist that will saddle you for life with debt. You can't do that. You can't go to that school and be an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was practical. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out in the long run. Yeah, it's worked out in the long run. Plus, so. you know, yeah, you had a, an education that is serving you well to this day. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. And I, I really am grateful that I worked in corporate, what, what I call corporate jobs, even though they weren't like big, corp, scary corporations, but um, especially working at the TV station in Nashville, the, the GM at the time was a woman named Debbie Turner. And she was just so good. 
And mm. she really believed in a lot of diversity initiatives before anybody else was really even talking about that. Um, and she, I really admired the way that she ran that whole company. And it, it sifted down to my managers, just being really good mm-hmm. people first, work second kinds of people. I, oh. I really learned so much from just watching what other people did. But part of that is just because I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know? So whenever yeah. I have like, young employees or go talk to a, um, a class or like a graduating class, I, I just say, think of every job as a skill set that you're, you're wanting to add these skills to your resume. It's not about what the title is or how cool the job mm-hmm. is. It's like, you need to know how HR works. You need to know how salespeople work. You need to understand finance, like whatever you need, whatever you want to do, each job you have, you'll like gather a few skills that are going to help you later. So think of it like that skills acquisition. I love that. I mean, you know, gone are the days when you graduated and went to work at what the bank or the school and whatever, and you stayed right. there forever. I mean, if you're a creative, you have to be, right. well, you don't have to be, you're, you're born to be flexible. You, you just need to, to know that you're figuring it out along the way and that you're adding to your skill set. Right. I think that's, yeah. it's an important thing to remember. And, and I think the precious thing too, is I, I've, you know, I see people that maybe haven't worked a lot in a lot of stressful, make sure this, um, artwork is done at this time in this way mm-hmm. kind of jobs. I love working with a person who's, who's flexible and can, you know, recreate right. and reinvent and do what you need. And right. I mean, I think that helps to have just like a healthy dose of gratitude, which I think working for other people also has given me a healthy dose of gratitude for working for myself. For sure. You know, for sure. I, I had really good bosses. It's not that I didn't, but I definitely saw things that like, I was like, how do you have kids and do this? You know, yeah. like, how do you have a family and do this? Or Yeah. And I learned a lot about how to be a boss and how to not be a boss at all the jobs I had. And I just always wanted to work for myself. And I always also wanted to be like, have a team and like have a great place to work where people actually want to come to work Mm -hmm. and do their best. Cause Mm -hmm. I I think there's just like so much pride in having and being a productive human and being and like doing good work and being able to come to the office and put your best self out and get a paycheck for it. Well, and I think being in that atmosphere as a, whatever, if you're running it or working within it, it's, it's why you stay. If, if somebody's kind and listening to you and there's room for you to be yourself and there's room for you to bring your best and you know, it's appreciated. Yeah. Not going anywhere. And that's not easy to find. Yeah. But don't you think that's a human, right? Like, why are we not talking about this normally? Why? Oh my gosh. Why is that not? Why do we, why don't we talk about how humane that is to have a job where you can go and feel like you're contributing. It's the most basic thing. I think it's the most basic requirement and how many countless jobs I've had where, well, I can count them. Um, it, it, (laughs) it it didn't feel that way, you know, or it was, it was run by somebody that had, you know, their goals and intentions were totally based on something wholly different. Right. My last job when I worked for the farming magazine, I, I like those people a lot, but I, it was really clear to me. And I had started one canoe two like on the side before I even took that job. So that was kind of going on. And it, it was like the carrot was getting closer that I might be able to quit at some point, but I kept thinking, why am I staying here until nine o'clock? Like who, who cares? Like, who am I doing this for? Is it the farmers who read the magazine? Is it the CEO? Is it my boss? I don't know. I just felt so disconnected from what the point of all of it was. And maybe that's like the millennial in me. I always say I'm not, I don't think I'm technically a millennial. I was born in 1980, but I was parented with helicopter parents. So Mm -hmm. I count myself as a millennial. I was just like, what is the point? What, What work am I doing here that matters? And that would have been I feel like that's pretty easy for somebody to have given me a motivational speech every once in a while about like, look, we helped a farmer do this. We helped them improve their farm. Or maybe if I had been more mature, I would have connected those dots myself. But I just think that's really important in leading a team of people to be able to like, really, it seems like over the top to me how much I say it, that, you know, what you're doing, shipping this box really matters. Like we got somebody their gift so that they could yeah. be, you know, kind to their grandmother. It, it does every step of the process matters. I mean, when I worked um, at Midwest of Cannon Falls, when it was still family owned, um, that's why, you know, Kathy Brecken would walk through the building and she'd know everybody's name and she didn't need to, but she, for her, she sure did. And it was 
why I moved to Minnesota because yeah. I wanted to learn from somebody like that or, you know, Studio M in St. Louis, same. They are the kindest, nicest, most caring people. And re- it makes you want to work hard and do your best, you know? I didn't know you worked for Studio M in St. Louis. I do. We've talked, yeah, I've talked to them before. Well, we'll take that offline. I have some ideas. I wanted to talk about, you reminded me and you're talking about business because I think right now, you know, when you're somebody that wants to have an agent or license your artwork, et cetera, it's all sounds lovely and wonderful, but it's, it's more and more, or maybe it's a, you know, cyclical trend to try and figure out how to do some things yourself too. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I've been there. I've been that person making my own things and having my own company and having my own store as well. And those, it's always best to make, well, for me, I always love being able to make a decision myself. And mm-hmm. when it's having to do with your company, then you can, but I, I see with more print on demand and things like that, um, more opportunities for people to have, you know, the Etsy's and things like that have their own businesses, but sounds like, you know, you were dialed into that early on. So coming back to it, talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I think, I think saying going in cycles is so true because I go through periods where like, oh yeah, like I'm totally up for figuring out workers' comp insurance and all the things that go along mm-hmm. with running business. And then I'm like, oh, I only want to do creative. Can I partner with somebody who will hand who will take care of all this for yeah. me? Or, you know, do I need to think about selling or what, you know? And then I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm smarter than I gave myself credit for. I think I can do it. I mean, the thousands of dollars that I've paid in consulting fees and like going to conferences, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship concert conferences, just to be like, oh, I already knew all of this. And it's what I, it's just doing what I already knew was right. I mean, not mm-hmm. that I have all the answers by any means, but I, I think I wasn't giving myself credit for it. And if I don't know the answers, I'm pretty good at just asking, finding somebody. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think there's a certain, there's the difference between me and some of my other friends, because I, t- or just people I talk to who have a creative business or want to, is that some people love the business side of it and want to do all the things and that it feels creative to them. And I would fall in that category. Mm-hmm. I think having a business is the most creative thing. I love mm-hmm. to just solve a problem, right? Like I'd love yeah. to come up with a creative solution to a problem and it could be art related or design related, or it could be business related. And it, I kind of get, I understand about myself that I get the same charge from figuring out problems on either side of it. Different every day. Right. And, and I like the people side of it. I love my team. I love the people. I think magic happens when people are together. Um, I, I just really, it's probably the thing I'm the most proud of is the team that I've gathered in the way that they have a place to come to work where they're treated like a human and can mm-hmm. do very interesting, fun, creative things. You know, I'm so proud of that. But then there's also people who just, I think, I really think it comes down to just like the way the structure of your brain. Mm. My brain is very balanced, like right and left. I think about money. I do amazing spreadsheets. I'm very proud of myself for not having anybody ever teach me to do spreadsheets, but I love to do a really good cost analysis spreadsheet. I know. Um, I like that, but that's not for everybody. And and I definitely could be, you know, maybe I'm just not good at at any one, like so brilliant genius level at any one thing. And I think there are people who are genius level at are, you know, way beyond what my skill set, but that's okay. You know, and probably those people who really just want to create art, that's fine. Like don't get caught up in all the like hustle girl boss, boss culture, like figure out Mm -mm. what actually makes you happy at the end of the day. I wish like, this is a big question that I'm thinking about a ton lately. So I have two younger sisters. One is a, my middle sister's a doctor went through, you know, all the years of medical school, five years of a residency, and then a year of fellowship and mm-hmm. had two kids in that period of time. So that wow. was really, really hard. And then yeah. my youngest sister um, is a lawyer, worked in finance before that, and then went to fancy law school and is a fancy lawyer. And I, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I don't, I, when, when my youngest sister's fiance asked my mom, which one of your daughters do you think is happiest? And she, without missing a beat said Beth, (laughs) (laughs) because I just kind of make my own rules. And I, for whatever reason, from, from the time I was little, I'm just like, these people in the world are crazy and nobody's going to tell me what I want to do. So I'm just going to do what feels good to me. And I don't care about being the valedictorian or Mm-hmm. Whatever. Both my sisters were the valedictorian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but meanwhile, my sisters now both call me old happy ass. <laughs> O-H-A. <laughs> 
which is not, I mean, I'm not happy all the time. Sometimes I'm very crabby and mean to people, but you know, I, but you wake up and you like what you do. You maybe even yeah. love what you do most of the I time. I feel like I designed like an amazing life for myself. And I yes, I live in have. 12,000 people and there's not the biggest amount of cultural things. And I disagree politically with 90% of the people I am friends with. And that's hard. But at the same time, I don't have this huge amount of pressure because I could buy a house, a killer house for under $200,000 here. I know every once in a while, Beth will send this group of us, you know, a house. this house is for sale down the block. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There's incredible houses. We're all going to move to Fulton. It's just, I mean, the, the, the trade-off for me between living in a vibrant city and living in a place where the, um, the cost of living is so low. I feel like the cost of living being low gives me the freedom to be able to keep yeah. doing what I'm doing because I don't 100%. have a hundred percent the mortgage payment of a million dollar home. A hundred percent. I remember um, I lived in Kansas City for four years and moving there and the cost of living at the time and then realizing why it was such a vibrant city, why I kind of called mm-hmm. it a secret city. The art scene was and is intense, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. restaurants and things like that. And it was because people could try something and yeah. afford to try something. Yes. And so the creativity that comes from that is yeah. so fresh. It's not like only the people with the most income can try that thing. It's the people that should be trying it. Right. Scrappy. Yeah. Yes. So true. That's so true. Yeah. But I, I feel like I just love thinking about, you know, knowing I was talking to you, um, I just found myself just kind of daydreaming about the businesses you have because one canoe two and the products you put out there, you know, basically paper-based, but other wonderful things, but then Hemlock goods, uh, dream business. And I just think, you know, it, it, you filled a niche, um, that, that was a popular and it's a, it's a business of amazing hand drawn hand screen printed bandanas. So. Um, which I have one on now because I have one on basically every day. <laughs> so, you know, it, just, so talk to me about just that whisper in your head and how you're, you're like, I'm a person, I'm that person who was like, well, I'm doing this, but I want to do that. So I'm going to figure out how to do that too. But for you, since we're talking about you, <laughs> tell me about how that worked. <laughs> I was just thinking, I would love, I mean, what questions might I have to ask you? Like mm-hmm. maybe this would be a conversation and you, I feel like well, you let's do wisdom, but like I said earlier, I started one canoe two with a business partner. And then she, I bought her out in 2015 and that was hard and hard. Like literally my heart was broken. And I think I've just recently come like been able to put words to that. It's been six years, you know, it's a long time. That's hard. Um, Yeah. And it it was, it's fine. It's totally fine. But I haven't spoken to her since 2015 Yeah, and we were best friends, you know? So it's, yeah, I think heartbreaking is the best word for it. But um, so after she left, I have two artists who've worked for me since they were like 19 and 20 and basically just been raised in the one canoe two style, which is not necessarily my personal style. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm the creative director and I approve everything that goes out. And of course I let, I love it all, but it's not a hundred percent my style. And because I have to run the business and make decisions and have these other two people creating artwork, like it just wasn't working for me to be bringing artwork to the table. Cause I'm the boss. So mm-hmm. here's two people. And they're like, well, of course you like you're drawing for that you're painting for the planner cover of course you'd like that one and they have really strong artistic direction and talent in their own right so I don't do any artwork for one canoe two anymore and I really haven't Hmm. since 2017 maybe um occasionally time yeah I mean occasionally I'll put a little something in but for the most part I don't so that I really was missing that creative piece of it Mm -hmm. so it was it was clicking along Right. And I well. also just like have a lot of feelings about what comes out of my hand is not as refined art as what one canoe two is. I like uh-huh. things like really mess. I like them messy. I like yeah, hand drawn. I, I don't even really like iPad drawings because I can't figure out how to get that like scritchiness or, the, or the wonkiness. I, I like the supplies, <laughs> I like the smell <laughs> of the crayons or whatever. But um, so, and, and I have a whole lot of feelings about the artwork because Carrie, my old business partner at the end of her tenure, she had been doing the artwork for two years for the same reason. I mean, she is three, four times as talented as I am just naturally. And she spent all of her time doing it. Whereas I was running the business. So I just wasn't getting as much practice. And of course you have like all these like self-worth feelings wrapped up in like, why can I not do artwork for my own company? Mm -hmm. And you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I have a lot of that baggage that I'm still 
thanks to thousands of dollars worth of therapy and my very kind group of tribe of girlfriends. Um, I'm working through that stuff, but hemlock started because I love textiles. Number one, number two, I'm an inventor at heart. I think I'm always like, well, I don't, why can't I ever find a bandana? That's like a cool color. Mm-hmm. And that's really artwork forward. And then I happened to go to India with my friend, Missy, who owns a company called Twisted Wears. And she and I were thinking about starting up another business together. So I had designed some stuff for her, some tea towels for her. And I went with her to proof them in India. And she is a trip. She's hilarious. And so we have a good time all wherever we go together. But when I walked into that, literally a, what we call in the Midwest, a pole barn, yep. which is like wooden poles with corrugated tin tacked on the side and the roof, a pole barn with a dirt floor. And they were hand screen printing my designs in the colors that I had picked out at the, the West Lakes in Driggs, Idaho, when I was on vacation, <laughs> I went like picked out the paint swatches and shipped them to India from there. And yeah. they, were, they were doing like, they were doing my work. And that, that mm-hmm. moment of like elation of seeing my work come to be put on a thing to see my work be put on a thing I was like oh I forgot what that was like I love that so much it's it's one of the most out of body like this is crazy look what's happening right now not just one thing but hundreds of one thing yeah yeah and I love doing production work I think that's just my farm kid heritage but yeah there's just something like so incredible about seeing that happen and I lots of times when samples come in the door here that we've worked on some crazy project for a long period of time like a a puzzle or these memory card games or something I I'm like it's a thing okay it's a thing now it's not just on my (laughs) screen it's we made a thing and that's really exciting yeah so so then I had the source right like I had the idea that bandanas were about to have a moment. And that's what I said in the fall of 2018. I told my staff, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you about this, except you're going to get mad at me if I keep it a secret. But I think bandanas are about to have a moment. I had a source. I had tons of artwork. I knew what I wanted them to look like. And I was like, I can set up a Shopify account. Like that's, I know how to do this on a really basic level. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And it, you know, it was only like, (laughs) I have a CFO Um, we have a fractional CFO who handles all the money, which is so great. I would love Mm -hmm. to talk to anybody about how freeing that is to have somebody else in charge of the money. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I called him and I said, I want to do this. Can I afford to do it? I think I'm going to have my sisters invest in it. He goes, well, how much money do you need? I said, I don't know. $15,000. He goes, you have $15,000. What are you talking (laughs) about? I was like, I do. Okay. (laughs) I mean, he, yeah, he kind of yells at me, which is exactly what I need. Yeah. He's like a real talk guy. That's so good. And so just to break that down for people, because you have to buy a minimum, like if you're going to, if yeah. you're going to have a line, you need more than one style of thing. And if you're going to print it yeah. or make it overseas or anywhere, you need more than 10 of it, each one. So that right. adds up and you have to get it here and you have to sell it. So that adds up. I, had, I think I had to buy like three or 400 at first. Um, of each. And I mean, that's what I figured was the right number. I mean, I definitely built hemlock on the back of all the knowledge that I had for one canoe too. Sure. And I shipped it out of this office and it was, I mean, it just, it, it did great. We sent out an yeah. email to all one canoe customers that said, Hey, I'm starting this new company, but then we've pr- kept it pretty separate. Yeah. We've mentioned it cross promoted a couple of times. Well, and you talk about hitting the timing, right? Cause I, you know, I think we're on a similar looking at trends wavelength yeah. and um, you were right on time. And then uh, we had a pandemic where you have, to, you're supposed to wear something around your face. Right. right. <laughs> Look so, at that. Masks and all those things. And then I had a whole bunch of scarcity last spring because India shut down. Mm-hmm. So I had about, I don't know, a month in May last year where I didn't ship anything because I didn't have anything to yeah. sell. Yeah. So I think a little scarcity helps with marketing, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. And I, I just, Oh, I've, I'm such a student. I love to learn. And I feel like I have learned so much when, when, thinking about my experience with Hemlock and my experience with One Canoe too. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll give you an example. In the trade show booth at New York now, we have a, One Canoe Two has like, you know, cost us $25,000 to go there. We have a 12 by 20 booth. I have to bring four people. So we have enough people to set up and whatever. It's this huge booth. We have ca- calendars, we have tea towels, we have recipe cards, we have cards, we have posters. We have like a huge selection of things. And what happens when people walk in that booth is that they love it all and they stand there and feel very overwhelmed visually, like mm-hmm. overstimulated. And probably one in four people who walk in that booth order something, which is fine. Hmm. I just thought that's how it was. And so I'd been going to that, going to trade shows with Funkin' Two for 10 years. And then yep. I took Hemlock to Shop Object last January or February <laughs> in 2020. 
and had a six foot by 10 foot booth mm-hmm. and only 50 styles. I had a sign on the wall that says $7 wholesale and the minimum is 150 and <laughs> people watch past and I say, Oh, Hey, just so you know, the minimum is only 150. And so then they would come back, back and immediately be like, okay, I'll ride an order. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? That was so fast. I didn't have to do like this whole thing. They're just so decisive about it. And I thought there must be something. This is going to be my patented phrase. Are you ready? This is my, yep. that there is such a thing as the delight of choice and the burden of choice. So the delight of choice is the threshold where you're like, Ooh, I get to choose because everybody loves to get to choose. It's like at a candy store. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the burden of choice is when like you go to the mall and be like, I don't know, pick a dress from any of these places. It's just like too much. It's, it feels overwhelming. People shut down, they can't do it. And so I think about this about one canoe two all the time. We have yeah. such a broad set of skews. There's like 600 skews for one mm-hmm. canoe two. And Hemlock has between 50 and 60 at any given time. That is, are you, are you listening people? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> so interesting. So you have to have a certain amount. The delight of choice is like 50 bandanas and yeah. the burden of choice is the one canoe two booth. Yeah. Been right there. I, I have had set up a lot of booths. I've thought mm-hmm. I had all, you know, and it's, it's just really interesting what people stop for, what stops yes. them and, and then yeah. what brings them in and then what makes them Right, right, right. That right. order. And yeah. I and had never really, I mean, I imagine we've talked about it, but hearing you say it like that. Wow. Right. Because then yeah. you're standing in that booth that cost you $25,000 to be there. And you're like, Ugh. Ugh. It's so hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, and I just realized people were getting overwhelmed and, and lay on top of that, that in my, um, the building that I, that our office is in, we have a little shop. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to trade shows also shopping and, and feeling that, that buyer experience. And mm-hmm. what I look for when I'm walking down the aisle, and this has been so so good to understand is what I'm looking for is, am I going to hit the minimum? Because I don't want to have the awkward moment where I like want one or two things, but mm-hmm. not enough to hit the minimum. True. I'm not going to waste person, your time. No. Right. I don't, and I don't want to have, have to tell the person I don't want anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I order stuff I don't need and I don't want, it doesn't make sense. So my first thing before I decide if I'm going to walk into a showroom or a booth is is there enough that I can hit the order minimum? Yep. And then, you know, like some of the book booths, I really want to order books and I get super overwhelmed. There's too many things to choose from. I don't know, <laughs> but I could totally see that makes complete sense to me that when people walk by Hemlock, they immediately know that they want to order or not. Yeah. And one can choose more confusing. Yeah. And you reinforce that with the minimums only 150. Yeah. We used to say, oh, let's just start you know, what's the minimum? Yeah. Oh, well, let's just start. And they would be like five times the minimum. Right. But that is and, creative business. Know, when I write an order. I almost always get over $500. So I yeah. don't know why people think when they come into one canoe two, they're like, what's the minimum? And we say uh, 150 or 200. And then we say, yeah, let's just, let's see where we are. But I'm sure that you can get to that. Cause it doesn't take that much to get to that. Yeah. But you have to commit to thinking about those 600 SKUs and which ones you want. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. That is very interesting. Well, I'm glad it's going so well. I, you know, at some point bandanas won't be as much of a thing, but I don't know. What like, should I make? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. We went through this. I, we've been going through this whole branding process um, for Hemlock because I made a logo that was fine and got a yeah, website. That showed was us fine, this. But I wanted to do like really do it justice. And mm-hmm. so we used um, Hoot Design Co. HD Co. out of like a local here. My friend Kristen owns it and they but they did a well, fantastic job because I oh, got to see it. I think they did such a fantastic job. It's like the, a case study for why you should have a professional to your branding. Because I told her, I need to know what products, what other products should we do? We've tried uh-huh. backpacks. We have some headbands. Those things do okay. But like bananas are not going to be around forever. So how do I expand this? I designed a whole line of cards for Hemlock and I scrapped it. <laughs> like, <laughs> nope, it just, I'm starting to muddy it up. I'm starting to like, mm. make it a burden of choice. Mm. So mm. I'm a little stuck about what to do next. Actually, they came up with some really good suggestions that I'm going to work on, but that's cool. Um, so but, did you end up changing the logo or not? I did. You did. Okay. Yeah, I did. I'm going to go and, buy. So I have, you know, keepsake ones with the old logo on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vintage. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. My, my one can two staff has from the beginning been really clear that they just want to focus on one can two and not focus on hemlock. So I showed them the branding packages and, and they had not really had very much to say before that. And then they're like, Oh, but we like the old logo. And I was like, you guys, you have to tell me these things. And I didn't have to change it. You know, I, I told 
um, Hoot, I told them that I wasn't going to, I said, I may not change it, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and pay you to design something new and then we'll see where it goes. But well, I'm and really- you got, you got so much with that. I mean, this a branding package by a professional agency, you get, you know, just the mood and the colors oh. and the feeling and, and I, and, yeah. and what they did was go really deep about who is your customer and yeah. what kind of things. That's a big customer. deal. And here's how you should talk to them. They do this whole, like, what do they call it? Messaging architecture. Like here are words you use. You're concise and to the point, slightly funny. They told us that our, my main customer is a vibey van life vlogger. (laughs) So basically like somebody who would drive around the country in a van, you know, but do it in a really cool way, go on hikes just for the Instagram picture. That's my customer. And so now I know exactly who I'm talking to. Yeah. Her name is Brooke. Like they come up with a name, they come up with a faux Instagram profile. So now I know who I'm talking to. And then I know what kinds of things to design for that person. Cause I'm, I could design, I like all kinds of design, you know? So, well, and I think, you know, we talk about this a lot in, in the other courses that I teach and, and, and things like that, because it's all about focusing, right? How do you focus? Well, you figure out who your ideal customer is. That's, that's, that's that's the simple one plus one. Because you can have it in your head, but I think if you have things written down that you go back to, mm-hmm. and when you have questions about how should this look, what's the next product, what should I say? If you go back and look at what's written down, what you wrote down for yourself, that doesn't change. Right. It's like a stake in the ground, you know? You know, it's really interesting because I have written those things down and I'll go back to them. I'll forget. I'll even come across some mm-hmm. random piece of paper and it's the same. It's yeah. the same as it was six, eight years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might want to do bandanas instead of a scrunt, whatever it was six years ago, but it's still the same reasons, yeah. which yes. is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to noodle what's next. I don't know. I mean, I feel like One Canoe 2 was a good idea that I had in like 2008. <laughs> and then it took me 10 years to come up with the next good idea. But the thing is, the ideas came to you. They presented that you were ready for them. That's true. With no. Hemlock, I mean, I was really excited to just see what happens. I, I have this theory that, you know, you can be really profitable. Like at, there's a certain period where you're super profitable before you have to start getting infrastructure and stuff. It's like, it's like the very last thing before you're so burnt out, you have to hire people to do a bunch of stuff, right? Like that mm-hmm. year, whatever that year is for you in your business is really, you can make a lot of money in that year. And so I was like, what would happen if I started a business and had all the things figured out and could make the money while it's still like something super new and interesting to customers. And I could just like, like pour gas on the flame mm-hmm. at that point. And sure enough, that, that has been great. Yeah. <laughs> Very profitable. <laughs> that has worked. It's really fun to watch. I've always been a fan of, you know, seeing my friends work somewhere like you know, Keller Ray suitcases at the airport yes. gift shop. And, you know, I'm, I'm always, I don't necessarily send you, but I'm always like, oh, Hamlet, I'm taking a picture of that window <laughs> you know, yes. just, or Lee or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I just, it takes a lot of work to put your dreams out into the world. And um, I have such a lot of heart to do that. It takes I a lot know. of heart. It takes a lot of patience and chutzpah and again and again, repeat. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's not for everybody. Like Elizabeth Gilbert said it really well in her book, Big Magic, I think. But like, mm-hmm. don't put the pressure of earning your living on your passion. Like maybe that's not what you want to do. It, I mean, that's what I've learned, right? Like I think it takes the it takes the joy out of your passion for some people to have to say like, oh, this reindeer card really sold well. Okay, well, you, <laughs> like my former business partner was like, don't tell me sales numbers because she just wanted to like be purely making art. And I get that, but also like we're running a business for me, that's really fun for me. Getting paid for having doing art is wonderful and I love it. And I will make whatever I could sell. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not for everybody. No, and it's not. And, and I think often, and that's a good thing to understand because you get to, you have to understand what people are buying and you might not always want to make what people are buying really. Yeah. Or you might want to like, I'm going to change their mind, but changing their mind <laughs> takes a long time. So- it's so hard to like, yeah, get there. It takes a long time is and is expensive usually. Yeah. Due to education. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it all it starts with a good invention, like figuring out a hole in the market. Yeah. I feel like it starts with that and then comes into play like what colors and what designs and how to get it, you know, out there. There's the hole in the market, but then there's also, I mean, you take cards. Cards have been being made for a long time. So the hole might just be your style too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You know. 
and how you do it and how, and what voice you put to it. Yeah. And there's room. There's always room for your voice because your voice is unlike anybody else's voice. So. Yeah. And there's, a, I mean, there's so many, it's a, it's a magical world to be able to see things on Instagram and on the internet now, because you can see the newest, coolest stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels like the ultimate meritocracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I well, don't know how you, I think about that with all the ads and algorithms and all the things like it's getting hard, but I, I guess I'm an, an eternal optimist. I just think, well, there will always be another Etsy startup or an, yeah. like, there's always going to be a return to a handmade thing mm-hmm. that people want. There always will. And it, I just think it's where we are in our lives, in our approach or, you know, how steeled we are to, to being open to it or, you know, it's, it just, it is cyclical. We have to remember that we just stick to doing the things that really feel right to us and right. they'll show up, which I think yeah. is it's a good thing. Yeah. I think that's very true. Yeah. I can't wait to continue to watch your path. It's one of my favorite ones to watch. I know we could talk forever and I please come back and we'll talk about other, so other things for you. I will. I want to come yeah. back and interview you for the whole time. <laughs> I would love to be interviewed by you. I like my journalism background working in TV and magazines. And also I'm just nosy as hell. But I, I mean, I always say on my gravestone, I'm going to put, I have some questions. (laughs) I'm, you know, I think I'm not very good about like, you know, being that whole open book thing, just because I don't know, maybe I came from a generation where I was like, don't ask them about them. Don't talk about you. Ask them about them. So isn't this a perfect platform? But yeah, I've done some things. I know some stuff. I know you're a fascinating Renaissance woman. (laughs) Thank you. I did. I mean, I've been making things since high school, pretty much also can't say I earned $40,000 at that moment, but yeah, I, I love figuring it out and kind of breaking that rule. Some of the companies that I've worked for that weren't my best, um, places were because they wanted to follow the same old rule that they've been following for 35 years or whatever. And I'd rather move the needle. Do you think that they didn't want to break the rule because they were so large or because they've been around for so long? A bit of that, a bit of comfort, a bit of, we've been doing it this way and it's always worked. Um, and maybe not seeing, you know, from the outside looking in that maybe there was some, uh, trends moving faster than they were moving or, you know, a new, sometimes it was a new management team that brought a whole, you know, we, that takes a whole couple of years to click right. into that whole new thing. And then is that really the right? It's I entrepreneurialism and being able to make a decision without 40 people weighing in is just my favorite thing. Yeah. Let me, this is my big question that's been on my mind, but do you think artwork really good, innovative design can happen within a corporate structure? Like, is that possible? It is possible. There's some caveats that my, my brain was just like, (laughs) who do you think does that well and how it's usually when not a lot of people are weighing in on the final decision. And when somebody is given the freedom to make decisions and hopefully they know a little bit about the finances, but often they're given enough rain Mm -hmm. to see something and say yes to it while it's still new and not have to have a belabored decision-making approval Mm -hmm. process. It Mm -hmm. has to be, it has to be quick and you have to have, has to be that beautiful combination of people who are passionate about paying attention to what is new, what is fresh, what they're, that whisper in their gut that feels like a new color that's popular, a new thing, bandanas are probably, you know, whatever it is, right. It's finding somebody to listen to that person and say yes to them in that big company, which doesn't always happen. I think what's so hard about that is that a lot of times that person who is really on the cutting edge artistically or design wise is just a quieter person and not really personality wise suited to go up toe to toe with a CEO. Good management helps. And that doesn't always happen. I, yeah, I have some thoughts and stories about seeking those people out, seeking the quiet ones out or being that quiet one myself and, or standing up for an idea. I remember working with a fairly baked team who, you know, a lot of people kind of made the decisions, but they had people underneath them that Mm -hmm. would be part of what they then brought to me and the other people who were deciding. And, and at one point I said, Hey, everybody, I want to see 
don't have to put your name on it, but I want everybody's ideas up in here. Everybody, not just the yeah. feeding chain, the whole chain. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden I started seeing ideas that were felt fresh, fresher. Yes. And I was like, but who are these? And there was just silence in the room because it wasn't coming <sighs> from, it was further down the chain and that, that yeah. somebody else was making the call not to include those when they were. Uh, and uh, so yeah. Interesting. Love finding. I love finding, turning over the rocks and finding. I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, we work with a couple of pretty big box stores, um, like anthropology and paper source, you know, and, and some other places. And what we found is that like some, there's a buyer who's really excited about something. And Mm -hmm. then as it goes up the chain, it gets weeded out and I'm like, yeah, but who's the buyer? Like who, who understands what the customer wants and who's just looking at the numbers and like, how can you make decisions about what goes in a store based on just the profit margin. Like, yeah. Or this worked for us before. So let's find something like that. Like you can't design that way. You can see how the creativity falls out of it. Once it's gotten, had to go up through the CEO. Mm -mm. Or we need, you know, something made a lot of money. Like this, this angel ornament made Mm -hmm. us so much money. We need to find the next this kind of angel ornament. It's like, you can't, that was a mistake. You, you had that in the outlet store saying, we don't want that in the line. And they sold so many of that in the outlet store. You put it in the line yes. and it made you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, oh you just God. don't know what that next thing is. Yeah. You can't plan for it. I should say. I mean, you can, but you had, that's when you have to let the person with, that's when you have to listen to the people that are coming up with the fresh ideas and they don't always last in that environment. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's a real culture, a culture clash between a corporate environment and somebody who, who is a good trend spotter. Well, being an entrepreneurial person that decided to go into corporate to learn about produ- mm-hmm. producing in China, because I didn't want to learn that myself. It was challenging often. I mean, definitely I worked a couple of places where um, it was, I learned just from the most wonderful people and I, it was the best, but once an entrepreneur, I was an entrepreneur. So yeah. it has to be, it has to be the right fit or yeah. it doesn't last. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean like the power, what's so interesting about big corporate places is the power that they have to make product. They have like, they've got the sourcing down. They know how to import a container from China. They can hit those minimums. They yeah. can, they don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, I have 2000 pounds of fabric being delivered. They need a loading dock. I uh-huh. live on an Island. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I've have felt so limited, you know, we come up with some amazing product ideas and then I'm just like, guys, there's no way I can source that. Yeah. I do not have, I'm not going to be able to get that figured out or the minimums are just astronomical and we well, can't call me. It. I'll help you. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was talking to some friends uh, the other night and, and they're just like, list the things that you know how to do. Like, oh, after you list that stuff out, like you said, after you, you do the, everything you do is a skill set adding to adding to your, adding to your skill set. Those sources you have now from your trip to India, mm-hmm. there's so much value that you have. Look what, look what you, it enabled you to do. It enabled right. you to do your, a, really a passion project that has been highly right. successful. Yeah. And then we use that same manufacturer to make stuff, make bags and zipper pouches and stuff for one canoe too. Isn't it fun to grow together with a manufacturer? Yes. I, and we, I just love him. I love him so much. He sent me a picture today, actually on WhatsApp of their, he's building a new factory. Cause I was just checking in on him because things in India sound terrible with COVID. Yeah. And he said, I got both my shots. I made sure everybody at the factory is getting theirs. He said, everybody at the factory, which is what the screen printing pole barn is. He calls it the factory. He said, <laughs> they've all got their first shot. So Good. I don't know. I don't know how they're getting vaccine doses, but I'm glad that they are. And he's taking, he takes really good care of them. You know, that's everything. Cause I think that was so eye opening to me that they just to go and see how things are made in a country. That's not the U S like, yes, there's a dirt floor, but they're like, they have a 40 hour work week or, you know, mm-hmm. and they have to be, be paid overtime. Like there are labor laws and mm-hmm. they have to wear masks inside the sewing place. And there's posters about sexual harassment. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that there are things to be concerned about, but having seen the very first time I went, he took us to the screen printing place, the sewing place, the weaving where they wove the stuff, where they printed the packaging, um, where they did the finishing and where they did the shipping. I saw, I felt like I saw every single piece of it. And I was like, okay, people are, I can tell people are treated well here. And, and when I've gone back, it's always been the same people, which I feel yeah. good about too. Yeah, no, it's, that's a big deal. And I think again, you're, 
you've been super entrepreneurial about this entrepreneurial. It's like you and Michelle are pretty much the, there's very few people, entrepreneurs that have taken themselves to China, Philippines, India to figure out how to get that product home. And I have a huge admiration for the effort that that takes to get it right, to get it right. Yeah. That's the thing is getting it right. It's so hard. I mean, just I, I still get frustrated about figuring out colors. Like, why are we not on the same page? I have the book. You have the book. Mm-hmm. You know, it just. Their book has been sitting in a pole barn with a dirt floor. So it's got a different color now. Yes. Those little things You're that right. really happen. Yeah. Well, and I saw how they mix the colors, which is like, I said, mm-hmm. I want it to be a little bit warmer. They take a glob of pink ink, throw it in and literally mix it with their hand. Okay. <laughs> yep. But that works. That's why it's important for me to go there. I can, I can change so many things in a subtle way. It's we're learning together. I always feel like when we're, when we're making something with somebody else, we are learning together and then their skill set matches yours that much more. Right. And the nicer and kinder you are to work with, the longer it will stay only yours. Yeah. He's wonderful. He's come to visit us. My husband got him really drunk and it was (laughs) a scene. (laughs) They both had six beers and yeah, Vicky, he, he, that was too many. <laughs> oh, well, see, now you're friends for life, I'm sure. Yes, we are friends for life. <laughs> know, he said, he he said, your daughter and my son will work together. He has a son who's like five or six, I think, and my daughter is 10. He's like, she will be his older sister and she'll Aww. be like, come along, little brother. We're going to do this business together. Oh, you know, working, I had the great good fortune to work at Midwest of Cannon Falls when it was family owned, as I mentioned, and the relationships they had, the business relationships with certain factories that they had in China were, you will do anything for each other. Like he will do anything for you. That is rare. That doesn't, it really doesn't exist in the corporate world because they're just going for that bottom dollar. And, and those are the things as a small business you know, how much we value it, no matter where that comes from. Doesn't that, it, it can be your next door neighbor, you know, he's, you know, my manufacturer, he's the same age as I am. He has bootstrapped his way up in India, yeah. which I think is really hard to do. Yep. yep. You know, and he has all the same concerns about cash flow and figuring out employees that I do. And yeah, for sure. He's growing all the stuff. So isn't it great to see really that we're all thinking about similar things yeah. and it's just, you know, the language might be different or the floor might be a different material, but we're all working towards making our people being a good boss, making right. sure they're fed and yeah, you know, yeah, totally. tell me who's inspiring you right now. Oh, I know that I like, I think about this all the time. It's kind of the same question as like, who would you like to have dinner with? But yeah, I am eternally inspired by Martha Stewart. And I know that like, maybe she's not the most fashionable person right now, but oh my gosh, so interesting. And there's a doer and a go-getter. Oh man. Yeah. It's just so like, yeah, she's a, she's a badass, which is incredible. Honestly, like I'm so inspired by my friends who mm. I have two like kind of distinct circles of um, friends that I call mastermind friends. So one is the one that, you know, which is Lee from Curly Girl and Emily mm-hmm. McDowell and Anahata mm-hmm. from Papaya. And that has been so wonderful because we all have similar businesses, but kind of approach them in different ways, have different styles and my gosh, the thing, like the help that we've given each other is incredible. And then I have a group of local, local women friends who own their own businesses. Um, one was, one is Poppy, my Mm -hmm. friend Poppy, the store. So she's my customer. We all kind of own like creative businesses. And then Kristen who owns who design co, um, and does branding and marketing. And then Jesse who owns a company called scout and nimble, which is Mm. beautiful high-end furniture and interior design. And she has she does e-commerce is what it is. She's an e-commerce company. So that group of women I meet with every other week for like two hours. And we've been doing that for six years now. Wow. That's so valuable. Oh my gosh. Like I just, if, if there was ever Providence or the universe stepping into my life, I really think it's those women. It has been, it's from life crises to, you know, business celebrations. I, I think all of our businesses have grown exponentially because we have this support group Yeah, and how, like, we're all really similar. We have kids the same age. We, you know, have marriages that we talk about. We have about same amount of employees and we've kind of just grown together all these years. We go on trips together. I mean, it just feels like it feels really magical to have them. Mm. And it feels wonderful. I mean, so. just think of having 
the peer groups that we form, however we form them, that you're able to ask those personal and business questions to Mm -hmm. that take you further are just irreplaceable. That's so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's do this again. Yeah, let's do. I'm, I really am going to interview you, Margaret. I'm going to think of all the questions. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I'll do it anytime. (laughs) I feel like you're just like this untapped well of information. (laughs) I know some things. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think it's one of my passions to, I mean, I'm a collector of things, but I'm also a collector of information, Mm -hmm. experiences, um, knowledge really. And I, I'm not saying I'm good at all that. Like I'm not a spreadsheet person, but I've collect people that are good at it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But I would love to do that. Let's do that. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. So good to talk to you on a Wednesday. Thank you. So good to talk to you on a Wednesday. Hey, um, do me a favor. Okay. You mentioned ahead of time that you did once some voiceover work. Can you, <laughs> can you give me a full taste of that just for trivia purposes? Don't make me sing. No, I'm known in my family for just singing at the top of my lungs all the time. And so that's their mantras. Don't make me sing. <laughs> yeah. So I, when I worked at the TV station in Nashville, sometimes, you know, they forgot to do what they call the bumpers in and out of the news where they're like, this portion of our news is brought to you by Middle Missouri Tenant. Well, see, I messed it up. Sometimes <laughs> I had to do it a bunch of times. They say, I would have to say, this portion of our news is brought to you by Middle Tennessee Ford Dealers. <laughs> I think you have, you, there's what you're doing next. You're just going to be a voiceover actress. We're going to have, you know, the next big Disney animation film is going to star you. Great. Except I'm also the person who has to record my voice now 30 times because I will mess it up. <laughs> so, Oh, thank you, friend. This is wonderful. Thank you, Margo. So good to talk to you. And I love hearing all of your podcasts from all the, like all the friends I'm, I keep being like, Oh, I know that person. I didn't know that you knew like Michael Schultz. I didn't know that you knew him. I know. I saw that on his, when you responded, I was like, Oh, I love that. I, connection. Loved, his, I loved his episode. I, that was a great one. I, he has been on my top of my list of favorites for a long, long time, because, you know, we did this to get, first of all, we bought from him and then we'd set up near each other. Cause I was there too. And then we'd always just, yeah. I don't know how I missed that He had a line before. And it's, I always find it so interesting to hear from our customer standpoint, like what their point of view is and what their struggles are and what a hard job. Like I have a shop, but I'm definitely not the world's best shopkeeper. So I'm it is a hard even more job. admiration of those people who do. I mean, he created magnificent retail experiences magnificent. and continues to. he's really good at it. Yeah. So go listen to that episode. Yeah. There you go. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> okay. Next time questions from you for me. Done. I'll start my list. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Thanks, Margo. Thanks, Beth. That's it for this episode of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations with the fantastic people and wonderful friends that I've met and made along the way. Make sure you subscribe to Windowsill Chats on your favorite podcast app and please share it with a friend. And if this episode spoke to you, I'd really appreciate it if you would also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the bottom of the episode you've just listened to and it'll let you leave a review. If you have any questions or want to check out more details or inspiration that we talked about, head over to the show notes at windowsillchats.com or tantostudio.com. They'll both take you to the same place. I can't wait to share more stories with you again next week. I value your time and I absolutely believe in your potential. Have a great one, everyone, and stay creatively curious.